Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Gadget Flow. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today I am talking with Dan Demsky from Toronto, co-founder of Unbound Merino, which is a maker of quality merino wool clothing. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today on Art of the Kickstart. Hey, Roy. Good to be here. So you created the ultimate travel hack, if you will, this simple clothing line with amazing, extraordinary performance. Uh, you've run a couple campaigns now. Um, really interested to talk about where did the inspiration come from? You know, where, where did the company start? What inspired you to create Unbound Merino? Well, I, you know, I had another business at the time. We were a video production agency and we did well, but I was for years really just, I stopped liking what I was doing and I was trying to come up with a new business and all I knew was I wanted to create a product and I wanted to sell it online. That's as much as I knew. And I was thinking for years, uh, literally years, I would get together with my, my two best buds and we'd have a whiteboard and we'd just write things, ideas on the wall. And it wasn't until I found my own need for something where there was this aha moment where I've discovered merino wool, but it was made as this material for people who were outdoors type people or, you know, as active wear for people who would do triathlons and running and base layers and things like that. And for my own need, I wanted to travel with this stuff because I found the benefits of it, but it didn't look good. It looked like it looked wrong. So I'm like, if no one is making this the way I want it to be made, this is my opportunity. So there was that aha moment, like, I'm going to make this for me. That's how it started. So Merino wool, how did that get on the, the drawing board as a product idea? Well, it, it did. I never even made it to the, that drawing board. It was, okay. it was, I was trying to find ways to pack less stuff so I could travel lighter. And I was digging around on Reddit and I found this post about how this guy travels overseas with nothing but a small carry on. And he said he uses merino wool. I said, perfect. That's exactly the solution I was looking for. So I went digging around for merino wool and I found lots of stuff. The quality of the product was good. But again, the way it looked was just off. I'm like, I I, I actually went on my honeymoon with a carry-on. And there's a I'm there's a picture of me in a cocktail bar, and I'm wearing this shirt with a reflective logo on it, and it looks like something I'd wear out for a jog. And it's that's just the 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 perfect example of what a, we were trying to fix is I, I don't mind wearing a t-shirt, but I want something I can dress up a little bit, wear with a nice pair of pants and simple, it's just simple, basic, stylish fit. And that didn't exist. So it was just this moment where I'm like, that's it. Like I didn't, I was certain it was the product. It wasn't on the drawing board. And I'm like, I'm going to make this. But the problem was I had two other businesses at the time, didn't have the capital to start this thing didn't know how to start it. didn't even know how to make clothing. I just knew that this product needed to exist. So we went on this 
this long adventure of trying to figure out how do we make clothing and how do we bring a clothing product to the market. Yeah. Talk about some of those challenges that you encountered, you know, when trying to not only, I guess, source the product and find a factory, but also designing it since you've never done that before. Well, you know, I think when there's a will, there's a way. And I know how to, we, we know very well how to design and manufacture clothing now, but the way we did it then it, it still got done, but we didn't know what we were doing. What we act, what we did was, my two business partners and I, we'd go to all the different stores like H and M, Zara, and Gap, and any of the big, you know, brands, and we'd try on all their T-shirts, and we'd just look at them, and we, you know, we'd see the way the neck would fit in, on the Gap shirt, and be like, the neck looks really good on this one, and all three of us, okay, let's buy a few of these shirts. Then we go to H&M and say, well, we like the sleeves here. And what we li- did, we literally po- like posted post-it notes to the shirts and stitched them on. And then we like the neck like here. We like the sleeves here. And we mailed them to a manufacturer we found on Alibaba. And we had them sort of Frankenstein together a shirt for us. And we tried it on and then we send back notes. And there was for a year and a half, it took to fully develop everything. But in that process... We had many different iterations of our prototype just relying on our manufacturer to stitch it together for us. And, you know, there's a process to how we do that now, but we got there. We had, we ended up making our, our initial prototypes, which we loved just by figuring it out, mailing stuff out to China, waiting for something to come back in, seeing how it fit, mailing notes back, getting a new prototype, mailing it back and back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, I love that idea of, you know, not recreating the, the wheel, but doing your market research with products that are out there, other shirts, if you will, pulling, you know, the pieces that you like out of it, patching it together and getting someone, you know, to make it manufacturing, and go through the iteration process of building those prototypes out till the fit was what you guys wanted. Right. And we could have sat there and figured out how do you make a tech pack? And that's that's how you make clothing. It's called the tech pack and has all the measurements and everything that is required for the manufacturing process. We could have sat there and figured that out and did it the proper way. But so I think there's something to be said about being naive and just thinking you could just get it done without knowing what you're doing. Uh, you can. You know, all, at the end of the day, we needed to have a shirt that was our shirt that fit the way we wanted it to. And we didn't know how it was supposed to be done. So we just blazed ahead in the way that we thought made sense. And it worked. I wouldn't have changed how we did that. It wasn't the wrong way. We got to the right place doing it in a way that's not the industry standard way. But it worked. So you don't need to know what you're doing. At what point in the process did the crowdfunding conversation come up in terms of that being a viable or only option to launch this new product into the world? Uh, I think it was right at the beginning. I think it was pretty, pretty early when we started to talk to manufacturers and realized the minimum order quantities at the, the, at the smallest were about 600 pieces per style average on average, about a thousand pieces. We're just thinking about how much money would this cost us to do on our own. And we'd be doing this for something that we don't even know if it would work. You know, we don't know if people would, we, we knew we wanted this thing to exist, but we didn't know if the market did. So we didn't have the, the money to be able to throw, you know, a hundred thousand dollars plus at this. We just had the ideas and the, the desire to work at it. So we thought how good would crowdfunding be not just because it's going to give us the capital we need 
through pre-orders to, to launch this business, but it also, it would be the, the validation of product market fit. It would make us create the entire brand and the entire value proposition for the brand, put it together in the best possible way, like as with as much polish as possible, present it to the world with our actual prototypes and say, this is what we have and see if people wanted to buy it. And if they wanted to buy it and the crowdfunding campaign is successful, we'd get the money to start the business and we'd have the validation to know that we're pitching this right, that people want what we're selling. So it, it just, it was the crowdfunding was clearly the solution we needed for everything to see if we had a business. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the, the prep work leading up to the crowdfunding campaign. How far out did that begin in terms of, you know, developing the product or getting your website, your funnel set up, those sorts of things. And some of the other things that you did to put your company in such a good position to launch and, you know, successfully raise the capital you needed. So there are some things we didn't do that I think a lot of, maybe we should have, like we had a website, but the website was, was just a landing page that drove to uh, our crowdfunding campaign. We didn't have any thing that we didn't have any landing pages that like, our, our uh, funnels that collected emails in advance of our campaign. All we really had was the campaign, and we started that campaign with with no with with nobody on our list or nothing. So that was some people said was a, a, a mistake. We could have done so much more. But sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> Talking about the prep work leading up to the crowdfunding campaign, some of the things that you did to put yourself in such a positive position to fund on day one or you know throughout the campaign. Right. There's well, there's a couple things in that the number one thing that we did that was, I think, the most impactful was we went out with Indiegogo, and I, I'm not saying they're better than Kickstarter or, or worse. We went with them because they cut a deal with us that if we were to get 30 percent of our campaign goal, they put us in their newsletter, which was really good marketing. So that was all we needed to hear. We we just knew we needed to get to 30 percent of our campaign goal. So we made our campaign goal $30,000, although what we really needed was closer to 75000 And we did that because we thought it would be easier to get 30% of 30000 which it obviously is. So all we focused on was making sure that we can get that 30% within the first few hours and how what is can we do to assure that. And we banked on friends and family. So for, for a month leading up to the campaign, I was messaging any friend, anyone in my family that I'd be comfortable asking them to spend a little bit of money as a favor, just to help us out, just to get over that initial hump. And I knew that a lot of people, if I asked, they'd say, yeah, yeah, whatever, in a month, I'll help, sure. And then when the actual time came, if I were to send one of those messages saying, hey, my campaign is live, can you help support us? That's a mass message that's very easy to ignore. You know what I mean? Like I've gotten messages like, hey, can you... uh vote for me. I'm trying to get this, win this prize in this contest, or I launched this campaign. Can you check it out and please support? And you know that you're a part of a mass message. So you can ignore it if you wanted to, or you can support it if you wanted to. I really needed these people to know I needed their help. So what we did was we created a video for each person. So I would go onto my webcam and say, Roy, Remember a month ago, I spoke with you about this campaign we're launching. Well, 
we finally are here and we're so excited and we worked so hard and it was a very personal message and say i if it's a good time for you and you can support please do please help us if it's not a good time we totally understand but uh your support would mean the world to us and blah 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 and we would we did these all day and night for a few days right when the campaign was launching and i'd export this video so you'd get in your facebook messenger inbox a little thumbnail and it would say your name roy.mpeg and you'd see my face and you'd be curious okay you're gonna hit play and then you'd see me speaking directly to you and it was very hard to ignore that because it's a message i really made to you and people would and, and and we also had fun with it like we were just drinking whiskey the whole time and the videos that got later in the night would just became like chaotic and they were funny and hilarious and they made an impact. And I remember that crowdfunding campaign launching, you'd see Brian Dembski, that's my brother. You know, he was one of the first orders and Sandy, my business partner's cousin. And we recognize all these names that just keep coming in, you know. And once we hit our, our funding, well, our, our 30% goal, we started trending on Indiegogo. So you start to see Johannes out in Berlin. Like, who's that guy? I never heard of him before and the thing started ha having a life of its own but we didn't rely on luck we knew we needed to get this thing started ourselves so we put all our energy in making sure that we had control over that initial start and we did that really well that kicked us forward like really really uh in the way that we needed to then the trend because we were trending and then we wanted to stay trending so we engaged your company uh, which I think had a different name at the time. And that was our strategy there was we're going to drive ads because if we drive ads to our campaign, we're going to have more traffic on the campaign, more sales. And we're just in addition to what we were already doing, that's just keeping the algorithm saying this campaign is really working and try to stay as trending as long as possible. So, you know, I'm you guys actually were a huge part of that strategy to keep it going. It was to, to, keep the traffic there to keep the algorithm saying this is a successful campaign. And it just did have a life of its own. Then the newsletters came and the rest is history. Yeah, no, it's always, you know, the fact that no one wants to be the first one on the dance floor, as I always say. And, you know, it's always much more fun when there's a party going on. So other people see other people back in the campaign and funding coming up and reward levels disappearing and prices going up and FOMO, you know, you have all that working towards you. But I, I love that strategy. And obviously, it's a very difficult one to scale, but certainly for your friends and family to be able to make a quick 30 second personalized video towards them really can obviously add a ton of significant value where you're speaking directly to them and, you know, obviously empathizing that everybody might not be in a situation to be able to buy something uh, like that. Um, but obviously being able to reach out to them with just a, a note and pique their curiosity of learning more about it certainly helped with the overall engagement and traffic to the site that kept it trending. And then, you know, obviously with our team uh, at the time was Command Partners and now Inventus Partners to, to drive more sales and awareness from our crowdfunding community that we've been growing over the past decade, uh, certainly, you know, hopefully aided in the overall success of this company coming to life. And now you have a thriving, you know, e-commerce business that's doing millions in revenue every year. It's been great right. to see. Right. And, and, you know, you're right. That's what we did doesn't scale, but I think what's important is that you, we weren't worried about what we'll, the strategy that would scale at the beginning. We only cared about 
what starts this thing out, right? So because we started it out with our friends and family, like, yeah, again, you guys have this list of crowdfunders that we were then able to tap in to bring it on, but we were bringing them to a crowdfunding campaign that already looked successful. And we were able to do that by, you know, first of all, making our goal a little smaller and making our friends and family blaze that goal, like uh, blaze ahead on that goal. So they can't exactly what you said. It's like people don't, they don't want to like, you know, hum and ha, is this, is this a scam? Is this a real product? If there's already a bunch of sales on the campaign, that looks like it's like blazing ahead. People say, Hey, other people must believe in this. It must be a great product. So working with you guys, we're then driving everyone to a campaign that already had its start. And that probably helped make the most use of what you were giving to us, which was people who were already crowdfunding backers, tons more traffic than we already had. So it started to like what you guys do is the scalability. What we did was that grind of just getting it off the ground. And I think it's very, very important to know how you're just going to get it off the ground. A lot of people just hope for the best. We didn't hope for the best. We worked for the best. And I think that's what you really need to consider when you're starting something. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not a, if we build it, they will come. Unfortunately, with today's attention spans and you know the attention economy out there, we're trying to get everybody to just stop with their thumbs from scrolling and, you know, click on something and engage it. And hopefully it hits them at the right, right time, you know, in terms of the messaging and the, the marketing for the product itself. But, you know, mm-hmm. given that you've launched two very successful crowdfunding campaigns, what did you learn from the first one that you implemented into the second one? Um, you know what, the, the second one, we felt like we were a lot more comfortable going in as we kind of grinding to figure out how we want to do our messaging and the positioning. And we were really focused on, on making all of our messaging about the benefit to the customer. Like we tried to think less about how, you know, how, how great, I mean, we needed to talk about how great the material is and it is, it's like a miracle fabric and but we didn't focus our energy there. We focus our energy on what is the benefit to the customer. And we got this, when I, when I was growing up, I used to love watching infomercials. I remember I saw, I didn't buy any of this stuff. You know, I used to try to convince my parents to buy some and they never did other than the George Foreman grill. But we, I remember I saw a list of the hundred top infomercials of all time. And I think I saw like 85 of them. I used to love watching these things. And if you go and you watch these infomercials, all they're talking about is their, the benefit that it has in your life, how much slimmer you'll be or how much faster you'll do this. And it's all the benefit. They're beating you over the head with the benefit of that product. And when we were making this crowdfunding campaign, I had this moment where I realized this is kind of like infomercials for millennials. Like this is like, it's like a, the way that you are successful in a crowdfunding campaign is doing the same thing the infomercials did. It's just beat people over the head with how this actually benefits them. Because that's what all they care about. They don't care about you. They don't care about your product. They only care about themselves, you know, and not in a selfish way. That's just the human nature. So we really focused our energy there. Um, the second time we did the campaign to be completely blunt we were a little lazier because we had the ability to be a little lazier we already had a big customer base not just from our first crowdfunding campaign but also we've developed a lot more customers from our e-commerce site at the time so we now had this mailing list we also knew we were going to go back to you guys because you had 
the list that you had in the first place of your crowdfunders. And given that we were doing this a year and a half plus later, your list also grew. So we had that. So we didn't go in there with the same level of intensity of getting this thing started. We already knew that we had customers. So all we tried to do was match the same framework of speaking of the benefit of our product and beating the customer over the head with this is how it benefits you. Don't, it's not about us. It's not about how great the material is itself. Although we talked about that, it's just, that was our focus. Let's, let's do that again. And then we use our mailing list this time. So that we didn't stay up, you know, all day and night drinking whiskey, making videos this time. We just did, we just created a, an email campaign to our, our already growing customer list. We re-engaged with you guys and um, that that campaign was successful as well, but without the same level of grunt work up front. So I'd be interested to know, you know, in terms of the community that that we began building, you know, six years or four years ago now when the first campaign ran, how have you gone about, you know, communicating with that community since they've been with you from the beginning kind of thing? and gone about creating or building new product ideas around what the community is asking for? Well, you know, that's a good question. Um, Fortunately, I feel like my business partners and I, we kind of really relate to our customers in terms of being similar. Like we, we, we almost feel like we are our own core customer, but we spend a lot of time trying to make sure we actually know who our core customer are. So, our best customers that we've had in the past few years, uh, we've exported the customers of us the most. And I send them an email and I ask them if I can get on the phone with them. And I, and they love talking. I mean, at first I thought it would be annoying. I was apologizing profusely and thanking them for their time. And then I realized these people love to get a call from me because they love the product and they're excited to hear from me and who's the person behind it. So I have phone calls with customers and I ask them about like why they bought it in the first place. Um, how it benefits their life, and I ha- and I and I just sit there with them, and I get to learn everything that they feel about our products and what we they think we should make next. We also have surveys that go out, and we ask customers, you know, what they like and didn't like, and what they want to see next. So we're constantly just trying to get a, an understanding of um, of who our customers are. And one of the things we had to be careful of is thinking that we are just like them, and we really are. So sometimes I feel like ah, I don't even need to talk to them because I'm I relate to these people so much and I really do relate to them that much. But we're always taking that seriously and I literally sit on the phone with them. So we have fortunately for us feeling as though we we're not just trying to figure out how to position for a some kind of demographic that we don't fully understand. We the more we talk to them, the more we feel we really have an innate understanding of what we could do, what's coming next. And it's very authentically us, what we're creating. So sometimes we, sometimes we're not even using the the data ahead of uh, that's in front of us. We're just making the the next thing that we want to see out in the market for ourselves. That's how we started this business in the first place. And I think sometimes people get too wrapped up in trying to figure out like, what's the right thing that you need to, you know, what's that square peg that will fit in that square hole? Like in the square holes that the the demographic you're trying to target. Sometimes now we're just saying, we just want to make this. Like we don't even have any reason to think that this is going to be the right product to release next. Other than uh, we think our customers are going to like this. We know we're going to like this. 
So we're just going to make it and see how it flies and we'll get the feedback from that. So that's sort of how we've been operating. Nice. So given the uh, current state of global affairs and the coronavirus spreading everywhere, like have you guys, has this affected your business and what changes potentially are you guys making to new products that are potentially coming out now? Um, so this is uh very, very fresh and obviously it's crazy for, you know, if you're not, uh, running Purell or a toilet paper company, you're probably getting hurt right now. So, and we definitely are. So this positioning that we've had as a travel product has been so good for us up until coronavirus is probably the worst positioning because nobody's traveling. We manufacture in a little bit in Canada and that's good and un unaffected, but we do a lot in China and that is affected obviously and has been. So one thing that's been bad for us, uh, you know, our, we have, we've been, people have been requesting us to make shorts for a long, long time. So that's a product that's coming out very soon. Um, it was supposed to be coming out in May, but because of coronavirus, uh, it looked, the delays are making it look more like it's going to come out end of July, August, which is a very bad time. It could be worse, but it's not a great an ideal time for us to be launching shorts. We're losing many months of the season in which people would actually care to buy shorts. So we'll take a hit there. And we have delays in all of our products and replenishing our inventory. So there's a problem there. But again, people are just not buying travel products as much right now. The saving grace for us is we're fully an e-commerce business and um, we're not shut down. It's not like we're a brick and mortar store that had an order from the government to shut down while they figure this thing out. So we are still able to sell and people are at home and people are bored and shopping sometimes is what they'll do. So, so we're, so we're, we're getting a hit, but we're, it's not a devastating blow. We're not going out of business. We're able to survive, but we are feeling it. What's our solution. I have no idea, but when this, I, uh, it's 9.37 a.m. right here where I am right now. Um, I think at 10.30, I have a call with my partners. And it's, I think it says in the calendar invite, like, what are we going to do about this COVID thing? <laughs> so we don't know if it's going to last two weeks or two months or half a year. Um, but we'll have to adapt. Uh, I'll say one thing is from a operational standpoint, um, I'm sort of excited for this because it's forcing us to be a lot more analytical about everything in our business. Like you really have to roll up your sleeves and make sure you're not lazy with any of your spending. Um, you have to make sure that all the systems are in place, that you're being really efficient and, and coming out of this, we think we're going to be a lot stronger of a business because we're being forced to, like we've already made some big cuts to like things that we're spending on that were nice to have, but it feels like wartime now. So this is uh, an opportunity for businesses. Uh, a lot of them won't survive, which is sad, but the, you have to be strong to survive. So we're trying to figure out, well, what, is it for, what does it mean for us to be strong? And there's a lot of growing to do here, and we're already feeling it. We're being forced to feel it. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see where this takes us. And, uh, you know, the hard times, are you have to go through them. So, yeah, no. Yeah, I think this is an interesting time for all business owners to 
simply reflect and again look at their books and see what they're spending things on and really go back to the grind of let's bare bones this thing as business and global business you know evolves and changes every single day until we have you know a little bit more stability underneath us right like i i saw this quote from bill gates he says success is a lousy teacher yeah. and and you know we started we came up with this idea. We created the crowdfunding campaign. You were there right at the beginning because your company helped us to launch this thing. But you know, we we did four hundred thousand dollars, which is was you know great for the first month of starting a company. It was yep. amazing. And then when we weren't sure if we had an actual business, we thought maybe we just had the crowdfunding campaign. But we launched our, our e-commerce store, and the customers were kept rolling in, and we kept growing. Every month it kept growing and it kept growing and it kept growing. And then we'd make some mistakes. You know, we'd invest in something that would be a complete waste of money. And we'd be like, oh, that was stupid. But the thing is, when you have an e-commerce business and every single day there's money being deposited to your bank account from yesterday's sales, you're adaptable to these mistakes because you can just like shake it off. Like if you spent, you know, a few thousand dollars poorly, say, well, let's not do that again. But then, you know, you wait a few days and you replenish you're replenishing cash all the time. So we had success pretty fast in this business. I'm not saying it's we've had this easy. I've been an entrepreneur for over 10 years and I've gone through many, many grinds and many challenges. But this business has a different cash flow that I've ever been used to where it's been awesome. Like it's, there's always cash coming in. Um, so you know what? That success is a lousy teacher quote makes a lot of sense because there's looking at how we've been spending money over the past couple of years now. Like there's a lot of things like, yeah, we could have been a little more frugal here and there. And, and it didn't really matter until all of a sudden sales have this big hit from coronavirus. And now we're like, okay, well, if it's going to stay like this, we have to really look at how we're operating as a whole. So, so the, the running into a wall is the real teacher. The success was definitely, definitely the lousy teacher. Yeah. Keep falling down, keep getting back up, right? Yeah. Keep growing. Well, Dan, this has been awesome. This is going to get us into our launch round where I'm going to rapid fire a handful of questions at you. You good to go? I'm good. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur? Uh, you know what? I had an internship um, at a radio station, which was, I thought, my career path. And I was freelancing as a video producer. And I, I realized we started making more money and had way more of a future doing the freelance thing I sort of just fell into it. And I, I don't think I know how to write a resume to be honest. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about it. So <laughs> if you could meet with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would it be? Uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq daddy. I think that's a first for the show. So what would you say to Shaq? What's your I don't first know. question to Shaq? I would just be in awe of him. I've, he's my favorite person on, on earth. He looks like the most fun guy. He's incredibly smart with, you know, I, I'm very fascinated with athletes because they make a lot of money very young and then they're out of a job in their mid thirties. And what do you do with all that money? Especially when you're surrounded by people who love to spend the way athletes do. Uh, I read Shaq's autobiography and he, he was really, really smart with his money knowing that he's going to make a lot of it and it's going to cut off at one point. So he's a, he's a, he's a mega entrepreneur. And he's a hilarious guy. So I just think everything about him seems like the most fun guy to be around in the world. The close second would be Bill Gates, because I think he's one of the greatest people who's ever lived. Yeah, quite the mind on him. Mm -hmm. uh, where's your favorite place that you've traveled? 
Um, I, I would say Tokyo and Mexico City. Nice. Uh, what book would you recommend to the entrepreneurs and startup founders that are listening to the show today? Um, I would say, hey, if you have a company that's already um, you're already starting and you're already you have some revenue coming in, the book Scaling Up has been the tool set that's given us everything we need for all of our strategic planning. It's it's basically our bible, and we love it. A close second would be getting things done, which is just a, a method for being productive, which I really need to read again because uh, I've, I've fallen off the wagon a little bit. Fair enough. Uh, where do you see yourself in five years? Um, I hope doing what I'm doing now, um, but scaled up. Uh, we love what we're doing. We love creating new products. I, I, I true, I've had four, I've been with four businesses. Um, this is the most authentically me. I'm loving this. I, I hope to still be doing this, but just at a bigger scale. Nice. Last question in the launch round. What does the future of crowdfunding look like? That's a question I would ask you. Can you answer it for me? Because you know what? You know what? Where we debate whether we want to do another one. We love doing them, and there's so much benefit. But I, I'm genuinely curious as to your answer because I think it would be a lot more insightful than mine. Well, I'm not the one being interviewed here, Dan. But no, I mean, you know, in terms of my insight, I mean, obviously, uh, the the picture is a little bit skewed right now with uh, coronavirus out there. But I think you know, innovation isn't going to stop, and hopefully, with everybody now you know, occupied at home, working from home or with their kids at home, new product ideas are going to, you know, become very, very much uh, a trend, I think, for stay at home education, those sorts of things. So, um, you know, we're starting to see those leads flow in every single day in terms of new product ideas on that category. So it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, these platforms raised more money in 2019 than they, they had ever done before. So the trend is definitely going to continue. Can I answer the question now? Because I just thought of my answer. Absolutely. Um, you know, as a, as we this our company grows, you know, we we manufacture new products. Like for example, I told you shorts. You know, we're making shorts, and our minimum order quantities them are quite high, and we have to invest a lot. And because we're rolling out a lot of new products, we have to invest a lot of money in new inventory, and that ties up a lot of cash. And I was talking with a business coach recently about like what are things that we can do to, you know, to adjust the cash conversion cycle to get cash in at earlier stages. And crowdfunding came up. And I'm just thinking in these hard times, I'm like, man, this is the time for us to do crowdfunding again. So I think um, as a, a as a way of us being resilient and to be a stronger business, I think we should consider more crowdfunding campaigns as a means of new product releases just like we did with our second campaign, but to do more of that. So I, I don't know if that will be a thing that will be a landscape shift, but for us, I think I'm just realizing this now, this is going to be something we should probably do is with our future products, we should consider more frequent crowdfunding campaigns as a means of having a healthier cash flow into our business. So maybe it'll be a thing for lots of companies because I think a lot of companies are thinking right now about how to be the healthiest they can be in all facets of how they run their company operationally. And as I was talking to you, I realized that is a huge thing for opportunity for us is we should be doing more of these crowdfunding campaigns. So yeah. maybe that'll be a thing. 
Well, we look forward to launching the the next product with you. Yeah. Uh, this is your opportunity now to talk to our audience, give them your pitch, tell them what you're all about, where people should go, and why they should check you out. Well, if you type Unbound Merino, M-E-R-I-N-O, into Google, you'll find us. You can find our Instagram, find our website. Um, we are a apparel company. We help travelers pack less so they can experience more. I don't know if travelers exist anymore. But that's what we've been saying for a long time. But we are making a pair, the highest quality merino wool clothing that, that's out there on the market. And we love what we're doing. We love connecting with people and entrepreneurs. So if entrepreneurs are listening to this and they ever want to chat, you can just type Dan Dembski into Google and find me and I'm, I'm, I'm there. So that's it. And thanks so much for having me on. It's been really cool. It's cool to connect with you again here and uh, really grateful. So thanks so much, man. Yeah, my pleasure, Dan. Audience, thanks again for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for the notes, the transcript, links to the previous campaigns and Unbound Merino as well and everything else we talked about. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Product Hype. Dan, thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks, man. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it, and of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.